0: Welcome, everybody, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Virginia Sports Hall of Fame's Hall Call Podcast. I am Will Driscoll, the executive director of the Hall of Fame. And here on Hall Call, we like to highlight the interesting individuals and stories that make sports in Virginia uh, so special and unique. And today's episode is actually going to be a a little bit different. It's kind of going to be off the beaten path, if you will. And, of course, our guest today would take that beaten path if he saw it and turn it into quite a pristine sporting venue. Anytime you see a Major League Baseball game taking place at a non-traditional facility, chances are our guest Murray Cook has played a role in making sure that temporary field is suitable for today's Major League Baseball players. Cook is a native of Salem, Virginia, and he currently serves as the president of Brightview Sports Turf Division and Major League Baseball's field coordinator and aficionado on making baseball fields appear where you wouldn't normally find them. His most recent work was actually turning the Olympic Stadium in London into a baseball field suitable for the greatest rivalry in the sport when the Red Sox and Yankees played a two-game series in the British capital back in June. Murray, thanks so much for joining us on the Hall Call podcast.
1: Hi, well, Great. Uh, appreciate being on the call, and thanks for the intro.
0: Not a problem. Now you obviously wouldn't do this job as many people in sports. They, they wouldn't do these jobs unless they had a love of the sport. And in this particular case, baseball. How did you get your start in baseball?
1: Well, I uh, grew growing up in uh, Salem, Virginia, which is my home. Still live there uh, in the Roanoke Valley area. We I grew up beside a uh, minor league ballpark. There where the Salem Pirates played back in the seventies and and. uh, and I used to work at the ballpark, and I just enjoyed working at the field there as a, as a youngster, a teenager. And one thing led to another, uh, from ball boy to bat boy, to clubhouse guy, to then field guy, and and uh, got my uh, uh, sowed my my uh, my seeds there in the industry. And uh, you know, the rest is kind of history, I guess. From there, I went on to college, and and was going to be a teacher. and uh, study archaeology. I'm like, you know, I really like this baseball thing. So uh, here we are.
0: Now, I I read an article uh, with an interview that was done with you. And is it true that your actual first foray into baseball was getting balls that were hit from the stadium in Salem into a neighbor's yard and selling them back to the team? That's exactly.
1: That's <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, it was uh, the home run balls. At that point, we got uh, 25 cents a ball. And during beat batting practice, we all the kids get back there and grab him and uh and the uh general manager that time uh, pat mooney who uh was uh and dan kinder who came on there in 74 pirates that's uh, that uh, ironically 74 pirates had a lot of the guys in the 79 team uh that won the world series uh i was out there shagging balls bringing them in to and telling them he says wait a minute i'm paying you more than i pay our ball boys inside the, the ballpark to get balls so he said i'm gonna bring you inside and pay you three bucks a game, and uh, give you a Coke and a hot dog. What do you think? And I said, oh, that sounds good. So I got a chance to work, uh, we call it the hill, behind the the uh, seating structure right next to the press box. So I sat there with uh, Brian Hoffman and Doug Dowdy and Bob Tudelbaum and all those guys that, that worked the press box and bought them their food and shag balls and, and those are fun times.
0: Quite a quite an interesting lineage of, uh, I know it's low, it's A-ball, but quite an interesting lineage of players and teams that have come through Salem. With You just mentioned a lot of the Pirates who won the 79 World Series. I know now the team is affiliated with the Red Sox, and they've obviously had quite a bit of success. It's, it's actually kind of neat to see that from a, a small place like Salem, Virginia, where a lot of these top players are coming from.
1: That's so true. I mean, that, that year, the Cantillaria and the uh, they, we had, uh, Eddie Whitson come through. We had, uh, uh, Rick Langford, uh, you know, Dave Parker came through those years and, and Renny Stennett. I mean, again, uh, they just had, uh, their, their, their 40th year, uh, game up in Pittsburgh. And, and, uh, before the game, they brought out all the guys that, that played in that year. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. I remember those guys when they were minor league players. So it was, it was interesting.
0: Plenty of guys to keep you busy shagging those home run balls, but let's pivot for a second and uh, let's actually talk about the London series. Now, the stadium that the Red Sox and Yankees played in is actually the former Olympic Stadium from the 2012 Olympics. Now it's actually home to the English Premier League's West Ham United Soccer Club. So this is not a baseball stadium at all. And what makes matters even kind of more complicating is that West Ham season didn't end until I think early to mid-May and the Red Sox Yankees were playing at the end of June. Uh, talk about the process of converting the stadium to make it baseball ready.
1: Well, you know, first we had to find a venue somewhere in in, in the UK and Europe and we were shopping for a while to, to find places and your typical soccer field layouts, they just don't fit the dimensions of a regulation baseball field. So when you look at venues that also were previous you know uh, Olympic sites that had track and fields around it, it adds more more width to to the uh, playing surface. So uh, initially finding a place that could even sustain a baseball field uh, to to the best of its abilities was was the goal. And uh, we started looking back after the after the Olympics uh, in 2012. And At that time, they really hadn't signed a deal up with West Ham to become that to be their their home. And then we got closer and looked at other places. Look at the Oval, which is a cricket pitch there in London, where we played. You know, back in '93, we actually played a game there. that flipped that field for an exhibition game. And uh, you know, it it uh, it was difficult finding that right place to play. Uh, but we we settled in on the Olympic Stadium. The West Ham team came in. They made some improvements to the venue back in 2017 and uh twenty sixteen and then and from there we were able to to move forward in more details of how we're gonna make this thing happen. Of course the schedules of teams and of uh, of their season and you know it's also a business there that the that the Olympic Stadium runs so they also have a concert season. So trying to find that window of opportunity as as large as we could uh became the, the next big challenge and and that led to us um Having to figure out how to build this flip this uh, uh, soccer pitch into a baseball field in a very short window of time, which was uh, about twenty one days uh, and then the two days for the for the games and then we had to bump it all out in five so a total of twenty nine days is what we had to to do the whole thing
0: so your crew and I guess you probably worked with some crews that that are specific to the stadium and and the culture over there, but you guys had in essence less than a month. To completely convert a stadium from one sport to another yeah <laughs>
1: exactly yeah it was uh a lot of help you know well, from uh, from major league baseball the commissioner's office and their team and mickey and kevin and that group and then of course our brightview team along with uh, multiple local contractors because if you think about what we were given is basically uh, a blank canvas that was part of uh that was that was covered with, uh, this armor decking system that they use for concerts. So the entire flooring system that was protecting the West Ham soccer pitch was already down after concert. So a, we had to put everything on it from, you know, not only the field of play, but also the, you know, the fencing, the backstop batter's eye dugouts, bullpens, foul poles, the whole nine yards and to be able to, uh, to play the game.
0: Now, are you using the, the same sod that West Ham uses or are you using, you know, sod that is approved and, and kind of uh, recommended by Major League Baseball? Are you completely removing the pitch, I guess, is, is the question.
1: Well, no, see, the, the, that's, that's the, the joy of, of this particular venue because they're, they're accustomed to covering the existing pitch with the armor decking system and then having their, uh, having their concert season come through and two or three concerts and then they would they would have their or athletics events which takes place about the fifteenth of July, which is the which was the push for us. And then the West Ham team comes back in the first week or so of August. So under the armor decking system is a soccer pitch already covered. So they come back and grow in that that grass into their that's called a deso grass master system that's that's kind of a hybrid type, natural grass versus synthetic. So we didn't even use that. We had to come in and put our own field on top of of this armor decking system, and that required us to look at various options from not only the uh, ability to do natural grass, and which we looked very hard to do, but found that uh, due to the timing that we could, we were going to have to install this. Uh, there was just too much risk, so we went the synthetic route, and. Uh, that was uh, that's helped us in a couple ways because it uh, one huge way was the weather we, that was one of our concerns and at the end of the day we felt that we made the right decision because the first 16 of 18 days of our construction it rained every day and we had a really hard time getting natural grass down during that that period so now the after the event was over we packed up all the clay and put it in bags and stored it we rolled up all the turf and stored it so. You know, kind of a sustainable uh, option besides uh, not having to throw away the old grass. If we went the natural grass way, we'd have to throw a lot of that stuff away.
0: Saving it for the next project. Uh, obviously, yep. watching the games, they were completely. Crazy from a baseball standpoint with the scores, you know, they looked more like uh, American football scores than anything. But just the overall weekend, you know, it it obviously was a success from a PR standpoint. But when you look at the work that you guys did, and and Commissioner Manfred, I I heard a a couple interviews. He was very complimentary of you and your team. You know, when you look at that weekend, you know, what do you do moving forward? Like, what's the next step? Where are the next venues that you guys are looking?
1: Well, obviously, you know, that commissioner's office it sets those calendars and looks at you know places to play, and they're committed to growing the game, you know, worldwide. And you know, we've 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 played in Japan, we've played in Mexico, regular season games, we've played, you know, with World Baseball Classic, you know, developing and and continuing to to, to get a lot of a lot of interest and in, and in letting players play for their home countries. Uh, you know, looking for other place to play is, 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 is very prominent. I know the commissioner mentioned in a couple of interviews that, you know, they definitely want to play more in, in, uh, in Europe, uh, didn't say UK, but obviously next year the, you know, we do have another event, uh, next, uh, there at the Olympic stadium will be the Cubs and the Cardinals. Uh, so we're, we're back to doing it again next year.
0: So looking at, you know, the London series, obviously you, you mentioned that the the, the process to kind of highlighting and finding the right stadium took g- goes on for some time. So research is done and then there's research being done on the research in the process of actually putting the stadium together in that 29 day window, what popped up out of nowhere that you said, Oh no, this is a problem.
1: You know, we, uh, again, we had such a great group of people that, that really worked through all the details and we, uh, nothing of a major issue. We knew that you know it wasn't going to be perfect. Obviously, you know with the dimensions, you know where we're, we're given the, the venue could only go 385. Yeah, you know, we could only uh, we could get 330 down the lines, which is which is in the, in the rule book. You know the average. You know when we looked at the total square footage of the of the field between the foul lines, it's 104,000 square feet. Well, you know your your average major league field between the foul lines is 108,000. So. Technically, the, the the field wasn't much smaller than your you know your other fields, but I think but the, the joy of of baseball, I think it all it is across you know every baseball field is different, it makes it unique and exciting from the pesky pole at Fenway you know to to you know the, the short right field uh, area in in the Yankee Stadium to. You know, used to have the, the hill and down and Dunn and, uh, and at the Astros. That's Ballpark. right, where the
0: flagpole was right there in the middle, right? Right. I mean, <laughs>
1: everyone. You know, they always have these you know unique things that you know call it their home. So, you know, it's not that much different from from uh, the other ballparks that that we play in around around the country. I mean, you look at the the Rockies field, which you know they're three fifty down the line. You know, but, of course they're a mile up, so they're they kind of taking that into into effect. Of course, in the foul territory, you know, we had a big foul territory there. It wasn't much larger than Oakland. I think Michael Chavis is still
0: chasing down foul balls in that (laughs) foul territory.
1: (laughs) It was a big one. But we're going to, we've got some ideas to tweak that next year a little bit, maybe shorten that up some and, 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 and do a couple of things. But, you know, uniquely, you know, when when you're looking at a venue like this, that isn't designed for baseball, you, you, you're, you it's all about safety. So we're wanting to make sure one is, you know, the fans are safe and they're in the seats and, and, and they're protected, which we had probably the largest batter's eye in, in, in baseball, being 400 feet long, and 60 feet high behind home plate, protecting fans. And so we had, um, you know, quite a few things that we had to protect, including light structures, because they were lower in this venue, and foul balls would go up and hit them and break And So we had to cover all the light fixtures with with, uh, with some type of fabric. And we looked at fabric, and the engineer said, no, can't use fabric because they're afraid they might get, you know, catch on fire. So what can we use? And one of the guys came out and said, how about chicken wire? So then, so we did the chicken wire thing. So we covered all the, all those light panels. Uh, I think it's 18 light panels. We had, we had to cover them with this chicken wire. And I, ironically, one of the funny stories was that the uh, the vendor who was putting it up said that, you know, we have exhausted the country's supply of chicken wire. And so <laughs> there was a lot a lot of discussion about, you know, chickens running crazy around UK and the foxes were happy and just kept on going down the road. It was fun.
0: I'll look for that breaking news here in the coming weeks as the shortage <laughs> continues. You know, you, you obviously, in what you do, people can see your work, but they obviously don't know it's your work because a lot of it goes on behind the scenes. You know, and, and it's I'm sure you're very cognizant of don't let the story be the field of play. Let the story be the play that goes on on the field of play. Um, and, right. and we see, we see that happen. Sometimes we just saw it with a uh, all pro wide receiver, AJ green at the field in Dayton, uh, for training camp. How closely mm-hmm. do you work with the players when you're setting up a, a unique non-traditional venue like this? How closely do you work with the players, uh, the players association to, to really make sure that it's a, it's a venue and it's a field that everybody can be happy with.
1: Um uh, we, it's, we're, we're hand in hand. It's, it's, uh, you know they they have uh, a gentleman that works with them, Phil Bradley, who's you know you know former major league player who who represents that part of of their business, who is who has been with us since day one and developing this this facility. So ensuring that we have a players' aspect of, of how things look and how things should play from from the field of play to the dugouts, the backstops, you know, to even to into the locker room areas because that all that had to be built too. Because you think about a a soccer team—they only had twelve, fourteen players. So you go to the locker rooms; they've got maybe eighteen lockers. Well, that's not big enough for a major league team that has, you know, twenty-six guys plus coaches, plus trainers, plus equipment managers, plus everything else. So, we had to build entire locker rooms in addition to this, you know, underneath the seating bowl. So, all of that was was uh, was monitored and reviewed by the player association, their representatives, as well as the commissioner's office.
0: Now, your work has has led to numerous industry achievements for you personally sports turf man of the year in 1991 and accolades for the venues that you have worked on. One of those was actually the field that was built at Fort Bragg kind of out of thin air in North Carolina for a 2016 game between the Miami Marlins and the Atlanta Braves. You've gone to where stadiums exist and converted them. Talk about the process of creating one from scratch.
1: You know that's probably one of the one of the funner jobs that we we've, we've had an opportunity to work with and, and Fort Bragg and doing something for for our military uh, and the, the event oh just overall just just uh, still sends chills down my spine about how how awesome it was to be able to to, to develop something on on the grounds of of the Fort Bragg uh, military installation there and and you know it was a it was an abandoned golf course and. Uh, in this particular instance, it, it was a, it was, that's all it was. So we went in and did a, a total strip of what they had and built the field, the seating structures, the fencing, it, the nine the whole nine yards in 120 days. And, and, and in doing so, uh, you know, the players were, of course, that was a Merlin's, uh, Braves event. They were all behind it and they were there for, for the right reasons to, to, uh, you know, we talked, uh, we talked about it being a field of dreams kind of a thing, but, but, uh, you know, it was more of fill of thanks for the players and for, for the for the folks that were there at the base and all their families because it was a free event for them.
0: Yeah. And I, I think what's really amazing about that is, you know, that stadium or that that venue that you built had twelve thousand five hundred seats. I mean, that's that's the equivalent of a, a top level triple A stadium, which is basically what you built in the span of four months.
1: Correct. Correct. Yep. And 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 following that event, we were able to break all the seats down, structures down and and we were you know the commission's office and the Players association combined folks that were you know financing that particular uh project you know that was given to the military for you know they use it now for softball games and other soccer games so it it's it it's
0: got a residual to it. It's good. It became a multi-use facility. You, you know, you've yep. been, you've obviously, we, we've talked about a couple of the projects, but you've been all over the world, you know, performing these duties, Tokyo, Mexico, you mentioned the world baseball classic, London, Fort Bragg, what has been the most challenging and, and it could be the most challenging project. And it could be from just a, a strictly building standpoint, or it could even be from, you know, a political standpoint, what's been the most challenging project you've worked on? Uh,
1: you know, there's, there's a couple come to mind, um, that, that uh, I mentioned before, I think the uh, the Olympics. We've we've also provided uh, you know services to help the and the 2000 Olympics in Sydney and then 2004 in Athens and 2008 in Beijing. Beijing was tricky because of the country not really being baseball uh, baseball knowledgeable and and learning and teaching uh, you know the, the folks there uh, what the game is about in a different language a lot of cultural, uh, you know, understanding of, of what they're used to and how, you know, they, you know, like down to, you know, what is a base? What is a batter's eye? What is a first picture? What is that even a word in, in, in Chinese? So, I mean, that you think about all the details of trying to develop something and then, and then getting it translated properly and then built to that level. That was pretty challenging. Um, I think, uh, you know, when we had the, the game in, in Cuba, when, uh, when uh, President Obama met with uh, President I Rule there in the, back in 2016, flipping that uh, uh, the Estadio National in, in Havana to be able to host the Rays um, there, play the, the local national team. That has challenges because we, it came about pretty quickly, so we didn't have a lot of time to do a lot of things. We were looking at having to fly grass down and fly materials and just, uh, you know, a, a very challenging project, but it yeah, there's been a few, but again, they all have their, have their, uh, their stressful moments and they all have their, their, their glory moments too. But at the end of the day, it's, as you said earlier, well, it's about, you know, it, it it's not really about the construction of what it is. It's about at the end of the day, making sure the the players have something that they can compete on safely and and uh, and for the fans, to enjoy it.
0: Well, we'll go ahead and finish on this. I mean, we've we've talked about baseball games at football stadiums, soccer stadiums, cricket grounds, and, and even abandoned golf courses. Apparently, what is the next non-traditional venue uh, that you see in the pipeline where a baseball game could take place?
1: Well, I think you know we've we've been practicing this uh, ballpark and a box concept here for some time now. We call it, and you know, we actually did the one in twenty. I think it was in Sydney, where we took the uh, the, the cricket pitch there at uh, the Sydney Cricket Grounds and turned it into to a, a baseball field for the uh, Diamondbacks and the Dodgers opener. And uh, from there, we've learned each place and the challenges of each. So, you know, to be able to go anywhere that has a, a large enough area and develop a a baseball field is becoming well. Yeah, we can do that because we've we did it here, 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 and here. So, you know, as far as the, the limits, you know, I, I think it's it's really open to where you know Commissioner and and uh, and the player association wants to wants to take the game next.
0: Well, Murray, that that is a uh, that's wonderful, and we know that the game will continue to grow. And obviously, wherever it grows, your fingerprints are going to be on that stadium. And we, uh, we appreciate the work you do. And, and we're happy to know that there's a connection to Virginia anytime baseball is going on somewhere in the world. So, uh, Murray, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: No, I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. And, uh, hope that, uh, you have a good rest of your week and, uh, look forward to, to, uh, uh, you know, seeing more baseball this year. It's, it, it's going to be an exciting baseball season for sure.
0: It is. It's been a wonderful season so far. And, you know, we're, we're to t- today. We're talking at the trade deadline, so I'm sure that there will be some different looking teams uh, here in the coming days, right. but uh, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the hall call podcast. I'd like to thank our guest, Murray cook for joining us. Uh, be sure to look for his work. Next time you're watching a professional baseball game, either domestically or overseas. As always, if you like what you heard, please like and follow the hall call podcast on soundcloud, you can also find the most recent episodes on our website, www.vasportshof.com, and on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with the handle at VASportsHOF. I'd like to thank ESPN Radio 94one WVSPFM for their support, as well as Thomas Simmons, our executive producer. Until next time, I am Will Driscoll, and this has been the Hall Call Podcast.